Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week John Burroughs. John Burroughs is Executive Director of Lawyers Committee on Nuclear Policy. You can go to lcnp.org. He's based in New York City and represents LCNP in nuclear nonproliferation treaty review proceedings in the UN and other international forums. He was a member of the Marshall Islands International Legal Team in its nuclear disarmament cases in the National Court of Justice, and he's the author of numerous publications. We'll have some links up at talknationradio.org. Numerous writings related to nuclear weapons, including contributing to a report uh, we're going to talk about called The Climate Nuclear Nexus. John Burroughs, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Glad to be with you. Uh, thanks for coming on. have read some great articles and reports that you've contributed to. Uh, talk a little bit about the climate nuclear nexus and these, these two major dangers we are up against. This was a publication put out by the World Future Council, and I was one of the contributors. And basically it says that there are two very serious threats to the nuclear future. One is nuclear weapons and nuclear war, and the other is global warming. And we say that they are similar not only in the sense that they both are threats to the human species, but also they require global uh, political and legal processes to address them and solve them. Uh, People probably know that in the climate area, there's a 1991 global treaty, the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, and that's been followed by the Kyoto Protocol and then recently by the Paris Agreement in December 2015. So there's a framework in place there In the nuclear area, it's not as robust, but there is the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty, which stops or aims to stop the spread of nuclear weapons and also requires uh, its parties, in particular the nuclear-armed states, to engage in good-faith negotiations to achieve the elimination of nuclear weapons. So those are the the basic themes of the publication, and it's available online. You can find it on the LCNP website. Although I don't know that there's any consensus that the laws and treaties thus far created on climate uh, are going to be sufficient to save our skins. I mean, it, it may be possible that that stronger uh, bans and regulations are actually required in both of these areas. Is that not the case? That is true. Uh, you know, take the Paris Agreement. <clears throat> it was uh, regarded as a big success, and it actually came into legal force uh, in November of last year, so it happened very rapidly. But it more establishes a process of reporting and transparency uh, than it does uh, require uh, substantive uh, obligations of the parties to achieve certain levels of uh, 
greenhouse gas emissions uh, or to limit the emissions. It says that each party to the treaty will decide for itself what its level of greenhouse gas emissions will will be. Uh, obviously, it sets goals. Uh, it sets a goal of no more than two degrees centigrade increase in temperature over the next few decades, uh, and, and also says optimally it would be down to 1.5 uh, degrees centigrade. There also are, and, and some of this is discussed in this report, uh, numerous ways in which these two problems interplay with each other, uh, in that uh, militarism is a huge contributor to climate change, which is a huge contributor to instability around the world. Can you, can you talk about how these two are related? Because in the activist world, they seem to be largely two completely separate movements. Uh, yes, in in the case of climate change, uh, uh, it will cause uh, various weather events, uh, drought, uh, storms, uh, sea level rise, uh, which in turn can cause refugee flows, uh, can cause disputes between countries over water, uh, and. Therefore, it can contribute to uh, be a cause of climate, armed conflict. Uh, uh, sorry, it can be a cause of conflict, armed conflict. Right. Uh, and, in fact, there are some reputable people that say uh, drought is one of the reasons uh, we're seeing so much conflict in the Middle East, and particularly in Syria. Well, anytime you have uh, armed conflict, uh, or in many cases, there's going to be a potential for escalation to use of nuclear weapons. If India and Pakistan get into a conflict over the division of water resources, that certainly could become a nuclear conflict. So that's one connection. Another connection sort of goes in the other, in the opposite direction, is that. If there's a large-scale uh, nuclear war involving dozens of cities being hit with uh, nuclear weapons, uh, you can get uh, what was called in the 1980s uh, a nuclear winter effect. In other words, global cooling, and that would cause uh, drops in agricultural production that could lead to famine, even like... Um, unbelievable famine. Uh, IPPNW has estimated as many as 2 billion people dying from a famine resulting from a large-scale exchange of uh, nuclear weapons. Yeah, a nuclear winter. Um, I, I should point out that uh, climate change uh, causing war is not some sort of inevitability without massive armaments and weapons sales largely from the nation's best off in terms of climate uh, destruction uh, to those worst off and, and combined with a, a war making mentality but but there there are some some claims of inevitability in in this report that I'm inclined to agree with. Uh, I mean, it states that as long as we have nuclear weapons around, it's a question of when, not if, they will be used. And if they are used, it will be 
catastrophic. Um, can you can you support those claims? Because most people, I think, assume that if you have them around, you just choose not to use them, and everything will be okay. Uh, right. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of uh, complacency about it, and uh, I hope that that is beginning to change uh, because we have seen ramped up tensions uh, between Russia, NATO, and the United States. Uh, the United States uh, and NATO are now doing uh, the largest exercise in deployment since the end of the Cold War in Poland with tanks and troops. Uh, missile defense systems have been placed in Poland and Romania, which drives the Russians crazy because they see it as undermining their nuclear deterrent. On their side, the Russians have done a number of provocative things, including putting uh, nuclear-capable missiles in uh, Kaliningrad, uh, you know, close to European countries. Uh, and then there's also uh, rising tensions with China. So this complacency that a uh, armed conflict just will never happen between major countries is entirely misplaced. And once you have uh, such uh, hostilities, uh, there there is the potential for it to go uh, nuclear through either deliberately or through miscalculation or false alarms between those those countries. And, the, you know, then there are the issues that uh, get more attention, uh, <clears throat> that there could be a war that would become nuclear between India and Pakistan, or that non-state actors uh, or quasi-state actors like ISIS or al-Qaeda could get their hands on nuclear explosives and use them, or that there could just be simply just one fine day, there could just be an accident uh, uh, of some kind. Uh, so it's really been uh, not only complacency, but actually denial uh, since the end of the Cold War about the risks that nuclear weapons pose. Yeah, we're speaking with John Burroughs, Executive Director of the Lawyers Committee on Nuclear Policy, lcnp.org. Do you think, John, that there is a, a, a silver lining for those not enamored of many of Donald Trump's policies uh, in his uh, apparent willingness to scale back uh, hostilities with Russia, even if it does come packaged with a lot of warmongering, mad rhetoric, and possible hostilities toward China and Iran and other parts of the world? Uh, yes, I do. In fact, it's about the only thing <laughs> about the Trump administration that I've been at least slightly uh, encouraged by. Uh, you know, Donald Trump has uh, sent out tweets saying that he intends to strengthen and expand uh, U.S. nuclear capability. But on the other hand, he welcomed uh, Putin's letter calling for constructive and pragmatic relations. Uh, Trump has talked about in an interview about the U.S. and Russia engaging in substantial reductions of their arsenals. And just a few days ago, uh, he had a telephone conversation with Putin, which was welcomed in Russia as very possibly the beginning of 
a relationship in Russia would be treated with more respect, uh, sort of as an equal partner. So I, it sounds from the reports like nuclear arms control was not really addressed in that conversation. But if the relationship improves, then nuclear arms control could be part of, uh, of the equation. Uh, it seems Mikhail Gorbachev wrote in Time magazine last week uh, that the world appears to him to be headed ever more towards war, and, and he wrote in his most recent book that he thought Russia and other countries would never get rid of their nuclear weapons, even if the United States did, as long as the United States so dominated other countries in so-called conventional weapons and maintained such a hostile uh, posture toward the rest of the world. Uh, do, uh, I don't see a change in that regard uh, coming voluntarily from the Trump White House. Do you? No, I do not. And, uh, you know, if significant reductions with Russia were discussed uh, with Russia, uh, Russia would immediately be saying, you have to scale back on missile defense, you have to scale back on uh, deployments and development of long-range uh, non-nuclear strike systems. Uh, they might insist on an agreement on placement of uh, weapons in space. And China uh, would very much have similar concerns. So especially if you start talking about really serious reductions of nuclear weapons, which, you, which is what is necessary if you want to move away from the civilization-destroying potential of current arsenals, you will have to deal with other aspects of military postures. And I agree, uh, you're not seeing much or any indication of an openness to that out of the, out of the White House. And I should also add that while Trump did talk about uh, reductions with Russia, and while Rex, Rex Tillerson, now the Secretary of State in his Senate testimony, did very briefly endorse verified uh, reductions of, of nuclear weapons, uh, it's sort of doubtful from what I can see that there's going to be much appetite uh, for binding international legal agreements in any sphere <laughs> with Trump or, or with the Republicans in Congress. So much remains to be seen. Yeah, and it seems that the Tillerson-Trump uh, team may be interested in more cooperative relations with Russia and in undoing sanctions on Russia uh, in order to drill and burn Russian oil, uh, thus uh, threatening the planet in a different way. And while uh, Democratic Party uh, so-called uh, news uh, figures uh, are proclaiming that the only possible reason to eliminate sanctions on Russia would be to thank Russia for stealing Hillary election. Uh, isn't it possible they want to eliminate those sanctions in order to get at Russian fossil fuels? Uh, I think that that could, could be a factor in, in, you know, and more generally in interest in, uh, you know, increased commercial uh, relations. And what, what they talk about, of course, is that they want to uh, partner with Russia on combating uh, ISIS, 
in uh, terrorism uh, generally, uh, and you know, cooperating in uh, secure in Syria, uh, and that's the thing that has drawn the most attention so far. You know, I should say that the reported, the alleged Russian in interference, uh, maybe people working in cooperation with Russian intelligence services in hacking and disclosure of information like from the Democratic National Committee, that obviously is a wild card uh, in all of this uh, as well. So I think that partly or maybe largely because of that, uh, the Trump administration may move fairly slowly on developing uh, a different or a better relationship with, with Russia. Which would certainly please those in the so-called intelligence, so-called services that have been pushing those stories on us. Yes. Um, yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit, John Burroughs, about uh, positive things that are being done uh, and and could be done in the near future. There are many mentioned in in this report. In fact. Uh, a number of parts of the world have set up nuclear-free zones, and some nations have given up uh, their nuclear weapons. Is that right? Yeah. Well, l- let me uh, go back to climate for a moment on on positive uh, sure. developments. Uh, first of all, one negative development is that a couple of days ago, the head of the climate transition team for Trump, Myron Ebel, said that the Trump administration would soon be withdrawing from the Paris Agreement on climate change, which might require the United States to withdraw from the foundational treaty, the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. So we should do whatever we can to to stop that from happening. And if I was to try to be uh, optimistic or perhaps naive i would i would hope that uh, tillerson would have a a different view but in terms of positive developments there is a people's climate march scheduled for washington on april 29th and it, you can find out about it at peoplesclimate.org uh, and it's focused on climate protection on the one hand. On the other hand, it does aim to be multi-issue to a certain extent. Uh, they are promoting what they call a new energy and economic future, which, among other things, talks about building, rebuilding American infrastructure in a way that is climate-friendly and in a way that... Um, helps uh, low-income people, people of all ethnicities. So, so they're making an effort to be uh, multi-issue. I think that's something uh, well worth uh, supporting. Yeah, opponents of, of mass murder as the biggest expenditure of the U.S. government have made efforts to uh, get that coalition, like every other coalition, to mention peace uh, without success thus far. So, uh, so join the People's Climate March and lobby them uh, to perhaps become aware of the institution that is the single biggest uh, producer, uh, consumer of fossil fuels that that would be ranked 30-something if it were a nation, uh, and that is the U.S. military. Um, Do you you think uh, that sort of effort that I'm advocating makes any sense? 
Absolutely. Uh, and one of the things that Lawyers Committee Nuclear Policy will be doing and some of our allies is, uh, in particular, pointing out the connections between uh, eliminating nuclear weapons and uh, preventing uh, further climate change that we uh, talked about earlier in the show. Now, in terms of positive developments in the nuclear sphere, you're absolutely right. We really need to understand that there are regional nuclear weapon-free zones covering uh, most of the southern hemisphere, uh, five of them. One of them is the Treaty of Tlatelolco, which covers uh, Latin America and the Caribbean. And the countries that are part of that treaty, and that's all of them, they renounce uh, completely uh, nuclear weapons, very strong language to that effect. And the Treaty of Tlatelolco is having its 50th anniversary. February 15th is going to be celebrated in um, uh, Mexico City. I was talking with a Mexican diplomat the other day, and, you know, we were discussing the current issues and tension caused by the Trump administration between the U.S. and Mexico. And she said, you know, you should point out to people that the United States has a, a very good partner on security issues right on its southern border. Uh, and in particular, there's this regional nuclear weapon free zone, the Treaty of Tlatelolco, which prohibits Mexico and other countries in the region from acquiring nuclear weapons. And she's absolutely right about that. Yeah. And there is a growing effort uh, with, if I'm not mistaken, the next meeting happening at the at the UN starting March 27th uh, to, uh, to, to draft a, a global treaty on banning nuclear weapons. That's correct. <clears throat> uh, let me just give a little bit of background. Yeah, uh, please. Uh, I was talking earlier about foundational treaty in the nuclear sphere, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. And uh, its Article 6 requires good faith negotiations to uh, end the nuclear arms race and to bring about the complete elimination of nuclear weapons. And the countries that have nuclear weapons that are party to the, the treaty, they pretend that they're complying with that obligation. And they enter into many commitments as to how they're going to implement that obligation. For example, they're going to ratify the Comprehensive uh, Test Ban Treaty prohibiting nuclear test explosions. Well, you know, the U.S. Senate refused in 1999 to approve that, that treaty. Uh, they have agreed to an unequivocal undertaking reinforcing Article 6 to eliminate their nuclear arsenals. They have said they're going to diminish the role of nuclear weapons in security policies to uh, facilitate their elimination, that they're going to engage in bilateral and multilateral reductions of nu nuclear arsenals. Over the last 20 years, unfortunately, since the mid-1990s was sort of a high point in, in nuclear arms control and disarmament, uh, basically those commitments have not been fulfilled. So the countries uh, of the world which do not have nuclear weapons, and 
are mostly in the regional nuclear weapon-free zones that we talked about, have grown extremely frustrated with this state of affairs. And they basically have said, if you, the nuclear-armed countries, are not going to negotiate a treaty to eliminate nuclear weapons, as we believe you are required to do, then we are going to start those negotiations ourselves. And so in uh, the United Nations General Assembly last fall, a resolution was adopted by majority vote. It was opposed by the countries that have nuclear weapons and, and their 30 or so allies uh, in, in, like, in NATO, for example. This resolution decides that negotiations will start in March, at the end of March, in New York at the UN on a treaty to prohibit nuclear weapons leading to their elimination. And then the negotiations will resume in uh, June and go, mid-June and go into uh, early July. It appears that the nuclear-armed states are not going to participate in uh, the negotiations. So the aim, uh, as it now stands, without their participation, would be to produce a treaty that sets down a very, very clear standard and marker uh, that uh, nuclear weapons are unacceptable weapons of mass destruction that have catastrophic impacts uh, and that they are absolutely prohibited. uh, And... Well, that will, uh, strictly speaking, that will apply only to the governments that are party to the treaty. Uh, But the aim is that it sets a standard and a goal for the uh, entire world. Yeah, it's a a wonderful idea. We've got just a couple of minutes left. It seems that there are also countries, uh, the Netherlands, for example, that are that are pushing to get the U.S. nuclear weapons out of their countries uh, that I would love to see uh, progress and succeed. But other countries, Saudi Arabia and various Gulf state countries acquiring nuclear energy for no apparent reason other than moving toward nuclear weapons. Is, is that how it looks to you in terms of, of good and bad trends around the world? Yeah, well, uh, it's become uh, sort of a commonplace, at least in certain, certain circles, to say uh, that as long as nuclear weapons exist, there's going to be pressures for more countries to acquire them. And, uh, you know, the most dangerous case now by far, I think, is North Korea's uh, ongoing nuclear weapons uh, program. But then, as you say, there are some pressures towards acquisition or preparing for possible acquisition in uh, the Middle East. I hope that has been contained by the agreement uh, on limiting uh, Iran's uh, nuclear program. In terms of the U.S. nuclear weapons that are deployed in six European countries, including the Netherlands, there was quite a bit of uh, momentum building up uh, about a decade ago towards withdrawing those weapons. And, you know, the We've U.S. seems got somewhat... got 30 seconds. 
the U.S. seems somewhat open to that, but then tensions with uh, Russia increase. So I, I think that's somewhat at a standstill right now. Well, let's get it moving again. John Burroughs, Executive Director of the Lawyers Committee on Nuclear Policy. You can go to lcnp.org and talknationradio.org. We'll have links to his writings. Uh, John, keep up the great work, and thanks for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David, and let let me say that I admire your work. I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.